And you're tuned to the Northern Rivers Music Box on Friday afternoon and it's just gone three o'clock. Callum Newton, he is what I would consider a pretty phenomenal music making machine. Originally from Lennox Head on the Northern Rivers, Callum took off to the Big Smoke, Melbourne via Sydney, with uh, to form a band with a couple of his best mates, James Whitfield and Bryce Wilson. And he was the lead singer and guitarist of Lunatics on Pogo Sticks. The band took out the coveted Triple J Unearthed High Award in 2013. But while all this is going on, uh, Callum created a solo project under the name of Candy. And he also released his debut album in 2013. A couple of years later, Callum formed another band with Bryce and also Mullumbimby lead singer Amy Taylor and Perth guitarist Deck Martins and they called themselves Amel and the Sniffers. We all know them. And uh, Callum played bass and recorded and mixed their early EPs, Giddy Up and Big Attraction, and also their breakthrough song, the Sniffers' breakthrough song, I'm Not a Loser. Now, Callum's alter ego is Candy and he writes, records and mixes albums to date, six of them. And in 2021, while in Melbourne, Callum rebranded his solo project, called it Candy Moore, and released his latest <laughs> album, A Pull to Hill. He's giggling in the background. Hello, Callum. How are you in hey. lockdown, Melbourne? I'm, I'm great, actually. I'm, I feel pretty good after that, that big spiel. I feel like you really um, picked me apart. I love it. <laughs> it's rare. It's rare that people actually know anything about, you know, my background or what I've been doing. So that's really, I'm blushing. Let's go back to your musical beginnings because... You, you said just off air you were from Sydney, grew up born in Sydney, but then moved up with your family to Lennox Head. So when you were here in Lennox, did you always have dreams that you would head back to the city to start a band? No, I like, like not at all. Like I um just, it was never sort of like, a, I'm going to go back to the city more so than like, I, I kind of feel like I grew up on the coast. Um, and I, that's where I sort of learned that I enjoyed music and learned like, you know, me, Bryson, I had some other, like I had a little band when I was a teenager called uh, The Automatic Androids, which Bryce was also in. And it was around there, like, we did a trip to Sydney for, like, a Battle of the Bands competition. Like, so from doing that, it was kind of like, that was sick. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I just sort of realised that I wanted to go back to the city purely just to kind of get better at music, not so much to, like, be anything big, you know, hone my skills. Because I went to Newtown High School of Performing Arts, so I got into, like, a, you know, I made a little video and did, played played some, um, I think it was Satriani, something like that, Joe Satriani, one of his songs, and somehow they were like, sure, you can come. And I ended up being like, might as well go to Melbourne now since, you know, everyone seems to say Melbourne's fun. And, and uh, yeah, I love it. It's great. It's a bit cold during yeah. winter, but it's all right besides that. <laughs> I love the fact you played Joe Satriani to get you into the Newtown <laughs> School yeah, of Art. Yeah, That's pretty as, impressive. <laughs> I, I think if I went back and watched the tape, I would definitely cringe. I feel like I wouldn't be the most uh, stellar performance, but... An amazing song, amazing songwriter, you know. Sure is. A shredder. <laughs> uh, your first <laughs> band, Lunatics on Pogo Sticks, as I mentioned, won the Triple J Unearthed in 2013. Did that really push your career along or give you confidence? Where, where did that take you in the band? Oh, um, it was a real learning curve, I think. It was one of those things where we were kind of thrust into a position that was like, cool, now you need to like under, like talk to uh, man like potential managers and talk to booking agents and Think about what you want to do. And at the time, I had absolutely no idea. And fortunately, of like Bryce and James, I was kind of, I guess, the creative leader, 
you know what I mean? Like we all kind of talk things through, but it was kind of, if I wanted to do something, they were more than happy to kind of let me make the choice. And so if I wanted to like, you know, say no to a gig or say yes to a gig or do this or that, they were always kind of like, sure, Callum, we don't really, we don't really care. We're pretty happy to do whatever. Well, um, how old were you at that stage? Lunatic started when I was like 15, I think, because it was just like, and it was just me and James to begin with. And I would just go over to his house and we'd plug in his like electric drum kit into my little like eight track um, Tascam digital recorder. And then I would just like record some guitars and it wasn't like we ever played live. We never played a gig. You know, we played the Yak once or maybe twice with some mates. Yeah, I, like I headed down, to Sid- headed down to Sydney and we, you know, me and James continued to kind of write and record music and Bryce kind of involved himself as well. Uh, and then we sort of, I put up one song that we did as kind of a demo and it won the competition. Oh, it was, it was ridiculous because then Bryce and James flew down because, you know, you won to, you know, you won this experience of, um, playing a gig in front of your school and San Cisco playing after you. And we'd never played this song. We'd never like rehearsed together. So we had to like learn this song in one of the music rooms. And like, we absolutely butchered it because we played one of the songs that got like 30 seconds through and James completely forgot what the drum beat was. We had to stop and start again, which I think is hilarious. But you know, luckily everyone was very supportive. Winning the Triple J on Earth High School and winging it, that's just gold. <laughs> a bit silly. <laughs> you know, what can you do? But also that same year, it was, it was 2013 when you went um, solo and did formed Candy, your alias Candy, and wrote, produced and DIY'd your first solo album, Bildungsroman, which uh, when, you look wow. that, when, yeah. you, when you look that up, that means a novel dealing with one person's formative years or spiritual education. Holy shit, you're deep. At <laughs> 15, you're I'm, coming I'm, up. I'm, you're coming absolutely, up I'm absolutely not. I'm absolutely not. It was my dad. My dad was like, Callum, here's this amazing word, Bildungsroman. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm just going to take it and use it. But it's a, great, it's a great concept, kind of that young adult fiction kind of coming of age stuff. I love it. What drew you to go to solo as well? I guess for me, recording's always been self-exploration. It's always been about trying to like try different things, explore different parts. Um, and I think I hit a point with Lunatics because it won that thing. I kind of boxed myself into being like, this is a pop punk kind of band, but also I don't really want to be pop punk. You know, I, although I love Blink-182 and I'm like, you know, a sucker for like Boxcar Racer and all that kind of real nasally auto-tuned kind of sounding vocals. I also had, a, I was super insecure. So I also really didn't want to be a Blink-182 cover band. So I kind of felt like Lunatics was in this weird pigeonhole of like, they're a wannabe pop punk band that's not really pop punk enough. So I thought, it was a great excuse to sort of be like, well, I also love dream pop and bedroom pop sort of stuff. Uh, pretty much anything on Capture Tracks, that record label. Why don't I make a new project that's kind of just no distortion, just clean guitars and just jangly stuff and realised that I really enjoyed how how much of an outlet it was to just be kind of morose, you know. Very, it's very sad. Well, that's that's... That's a bit of a juxtaposition of what also where else you were going because in a couple of years after you formed your band, you started you formed uh, Amel and the Sniffers. Now they're just punk, Oz punk. So that's a whole nother 
lots of reverb yeah, and grungy. I mean, how, how did that all come about? We all lived together. So um, I've known Amy since we were like 14-ish um, and she moved down to Melbourne. We were all living in this house uh, in Laverton, which is like 30 minutes away from the city, but it's out west, which feels really far away. Um, but we sort of, after six months, moved to St Kilda. Um, Bryce had just gone through a breakup and met Declan at a, I think it was a Trunk Mums concert. And, so, and they just like connected. They were just really, got really close, just straight up the bat. And then Amy and Deck got along really well. And then he ended up moving into our, our shed. Like there, there was no door on it. It was just like a little outdoor sort of, it had like a roof, but there was like no door. So I don't know how he lived. And it was like dusty as, but he like lived in there for like, must've been like around a year. But we ended up just one afternoon, I just set up a bunch of microphones and, you know, we kind of just talked about it. We're like, let's just, let's just write some songs. So like we, I think it took like, I don't know, a couple of hours. We just like churned out three or four songs. Uh, I went and mixed them in like, you know, a couple of hours and then we just threw it out. It was really fun. The rest, is, the rest is history because <laughs> look where those guys are now. Oh. So good. <laughs> just Feeling it. Aria winners. It's yeah, ridiculous. yeah. It's, Amazing. It's phenomenal. Well, you you left um, the Sniffers in about 2017, but is it is it because you just felt again you wanted to, didn't want to be boxed and you wanted to keep creating and then working on your solo? Oh, kind of. I, I found me and Declan had a little bit of tension. We definitely kind of struggled because like her and um, Amy and Deck were kind of, they were dating at a certain point. And I just found there was a lot of, a lot of maybe a bit of growth that needed to happen to kind of, you know, everyone to be a bit more mature, which, you know, he's absolutely gone and done. Like he's definitely worked on himself and they've all kind of sorted out themselves really well. But I kind of hit a point that I was a bit like, we weren't really getting along. I had my other projects and I kind of thought I'm happy to kind of take a step back from this. And I'm, and I kind of, you know, at the time I was incredibly jealous that they've gotten so huge and so like, Big, but I also think my absence, like my leaving and Gus coming in, absolutely kind of just locked them in. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they would have gotten as like successful if I was still a part of that project. Although I'm stoked that I'm a footnote. Like I'm, a, I'm there. I'm on the Wikipedia page, so that's fun. <laughs> you, you so are. <laughs> I'm on the Wikipedia. Oh, well, look, that's really beautiful of you also to honour that and honour where they're going because you're on a very different path and uh, and you changed your solo about a month ago to Candy Moore. What was the reasoning of that? Oh, well, so it was Candy originally and then I just sort of hit a point that I was like, Candy's really hard to find. <laughs> it's just a bit of a difficult – there's like 80 other versions uh, on Spotify and – I just, like, originally I was kind of like, great, you know, 17, 18 or whatever when I, like, made the project, 
I was like, cool, I don't want to be found. I just want this to be something that's like out there and if people find it, then great. But now I kind of want to be found. You know, I, like, not that I want to, but I'm like, it's good to be accessible. If people can like see you and go, oh, I want to just like easily type this up and find it. That's, that's a, really that, nice. That's a really good tip. I once interviewed the church and uh, the church was okay. obviously before <laughs> the internet and social media and, and, and we were having a good chuckle about, you know, would you rename yourself? Now, you're, you're very much true to your DIY approach. You're creating, you know, your bedroom pop, as you mentioned before. Your latest album, A Pull to Hill, you worked with a producer, in fact, that L- an LA producer, Matthew Neighbour, on the mixing yeah. duties. What was that like, handing over some of you, your control? Oh, it was amazing. It was sick. It was so fun. Uh, I, like... When you're part of every sort of asset, it just becomes just a bit of a, it just folds your brain a little bit. And I love it. I do love mixing. I love mastering. I love all the stuff. But it was really fun to like hand off this stuff that I'm like, oh, I don't feel like it's done. But like, here you go. I'm sh- like, it's done as I can get it for now. And then getting it back and it just being like, just like hitting you in the face and it feeling big. And also, if I wanted something to change, all I had to do is be like, oh, I feel like the vocal sounds a little bit meh. Can you make it sound better? he can deal with it. You know what I mean? It's up to him to go and do the work rather yeah. than like, you know, when it's me by myself, I'm there being like, oh my goodness, how, is it the 4K? Is it the 3K? What should go up? What should come down? Do it? Is it enough reverb? It's like, you know, taking away that choice was really fun. And I thought he created a real cohesive sound for the album. And it also being able to have it has made me also be able to reference it for my own mixing. And like my mixing personally, I feel like has stepped up incredibly much, like incredibly so purely for the fact of like being able to see what he did and like hear it i can like look at my tracks and go okay that kick drum sounds huge how did he do it and i can like you know go through my session and which i did and sort of just tried to recreate these mixes so i can kind of understand how he did it People into your music world to collaborate. So I've got this pro, uh, this album I'm working on at the moment that's um, sort of halfway done. Which I've gotten, I've had someone help me do a bit of production. Mike is projects called Control Plus Me or Tram Cops, which he did a bit of like additional production. So I had these songs that were kind of kind of done, but I was just a bit over them because I've had them for about a year and a half. And I just threw threw them at him. We sat in a room, and he kind of just was like, "This sounds cool," and he put it along. And then I've just taken those sessions back to me, and I'm gonna just been reworking them again. Um, but yeah, I've tried to like invite a bit few more like singers. Like I've got this girl called Ivoris, I think is how you pronounce it. Who's like sung like some sort of a feature. And so it's like Elsie Lang. Cause sometimes I feel like I do get very like, has to be me. It's all mm. about me. When it's sometimes it's great to like, just have other people adding things that I just would never have thought of. Cause it, you know, we're different people. Yeah. I, I think it's really exciting actually you collaborating. Cause I've, I've, I've gone through your back, your track record and you can, it's a, 
very different album, your recent one. And so I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to where having a female vocal as well, really looking forward to how you're going to use that. Your lyrics, we've got to go there. Your lyrics are really sad boy songwriter. I've heard it being... Very sad things. boy, yeah. Very. <laughs> uh, which is quite a juxtaposition to your really upbeat synth pop, post-pop sort of sound. You, you can almost, There's also some insecurity and a little bit of self-deprecation and asking for validation in some of your lyrics. <laughs> Yeah. It's and the pull to heal. It's got a feel of like, does it really matter? We're all going to die anyway. <laughs> Someday, that sort of feel. What is going on inside your head? <laughs> well, I guess yeah. This was a funny one because this, this was most of these lyrics are written sort of around that bushfires, how brutal that all feels. And little did we know around the corner there was going to be a pandemic, and we'd be, you know, a year and a half later, sort of sitting here locked out in Melbourne. You know, I think I'm just coming to terms with the notion of like environmentalism and how it's starting to feel a little bit like if things don't happen and if things aren't, what's, what is the point? It does feel a little bit like that to me. Yeah. And I feel like I'm in an age where I'm like, I, I would love to have, like, I would love to have children. Like me and I've had a partner for like eight years. We're getting along splendidly, but I don't, I don't think either of us feel comfortable about maybe bringing a child into this world when, is it going to be, you know, a comfortable, livable space in 50 years time? Like it's, it's scary. So a lot of these lyrics are just me kind of, um, yeah, just to get it out there. I'm like, you know, I find songs one of the easiest ways to kind of get it out. Because I'm usually, I'm quite chipper, I think. I'm yeah. quite a chipper person. You are. But it's, You're it's, very much uh, Yeah, and I'm, I'm quite smiley and I'm, I'm yeah. quite happy. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where music allows me to really kind of delve into that stuff and process, you know. It just allows me to process things and, and get it out. It, while we're on this topic of doom and gloom, it's, you've wrote a song called Reaper, which uh, <laughs> it's got the yeah. lyrics of you can be a king or a street sweeper, but everyone's going <laughs> to, everyone gets served with the grim reaper. Yeah. So on that note, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Callum, for sharing your music. Looking forward to your future projects and your collaborations. Thanks again for having me on. Coming to terms with all my imperfections. You'll never see me wearing the crown. Inadequacy is alright with me I get embarrassed but I'll push it down